All right, Vocal Fam, here we are. What a special, special episode. We have Norman Spivey and Mary Saunders Barton. What a pair to bring to you today. We're going to talk about their book, their great book, Cross Training in the Voice Studio Balancing Act. So let me roll the theme song and we'll get going. You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from your semi-occluded vocal tract, have you practiced today? Vocal fam, what a crazy, awesome day it's been. First of all, let me just say, uh, if you are in Texas know that we are thinking about you right now. I have so many dear, dear friends down in Texas. It's been a crazy week for those of us in the South because our infrastructure is just not prepared for what we experienced this week. Um, fortunately, we are very, very fortunate here that we did not lose power in my house. We did lose internet until about three hours ago, um, which was very good. We were able to drive the first time yesterday. I was able to actually get out on the roads yesterday for just to go into the office. Um, but uh, what a crazy week, and we're thinking about you, Texas. All right. So anyway, we are here. Norma Spivey, Mary Saunders Barton, welcome to Vocal Fry. Yes. Thank you. We're Thank great. You. Glad to be here. Yeah. We are yeah. so, so thrilled to have both of you. What an exciting day for us. Uh, so anyway, we're going to dive into your book, but but but, but before we do that, I always like our guests to have the chance to introduce themselves to the vocal fam. I think it's, you know, one of the joys of doing this show that we've had, you know, over these last four years has now been, you know, getting to, you know, share sort of everybody's journey, how they got to where they are, why we're even, why they're guests on this show, why they wrote this book. So if both of you, it doesn't matter who wants to jump in first, if you could just sort of share your your I know that the book itself does have a chapter sort of that talks about your sort of what led you you all to writing the book but if you could just share with the vocal fam a little bit about you know what how you got here Mary would you like to go first so I grew up in 1950s Morristown New Jersey uh, to a family of musicians uh, we all there were five kids and animals everybody played an instrument and everybody played piano. I played piano pretty much by ear from as early as I can remember. And I sang constantly. So my mom put me in the choir when I was nine years old. Mm. And I stayed there till college. Just as a lot of voice teachers have stories of being in choir forever, I learned to read music in choir. So I was, my one of my memories of Morristown is dancing from couch to couch, singing Lerner Low and Rodgers and Hammerstein. <laughs> I was singing Eliza Doolittle and Guinevere. And because these were the shows, they were right. pretty much classically, they were Eurocentric stories. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I had a voice that was suited for that. So the first roles I was cast in ultimately were uh, Guinevere and Eliza Doolittle, just oh, for fantastic. that reason, because awesome. yeah, it's so interesting. So, I but 
a life in the arts is was not considered a woman's profession at that time. Teaching was uh. something that, you know, you would do. You would do that. So I went to college and I fell in love with French language and literature. And I went to Paris, got a grad degree in French language and literature while I was in Paris. I also was serendipitously um, ushered into the studio of Pierre Bernac. I mean, let's talk about an incredible connection. Who knew? Who knew? (laughs) I was 21 years old. Who knew what had happened? And he, you know, you had to audition. So I sang Après un rêve Uh for him. Or as Norman would say, Après un rêve. So I went there um, (laughs) and he said, Ah, la cocotte, elle est musicienne. And he also very kindly said, I sang like an enfant de coeur. Which was true, because I had a very sort of young girl's sound. Sure. And he introduced me into the wonders of the French art song. And I, that stayed with me forever. Who, whoever knows what you bring with you on your, along your way. Right. But that is a very rich memory for me. I came back to New York City, and uh, I got married. And I started teaching in New York City at the professional children's school on the Upper West Side. Okay. Um, so I was teaching American Ballet theater students mm-hmm. who would sit in the front row with their big, huge, long legs stretched out and just roll in their eyes. And I thought, you know what? This is not the career for me. Yeah. And my husband at the time said, well, you love musical theater. Why don't you go down to Herbert Berghoff Studios in the village on Bank Street and just get involved. Take a take a class there. So that was the beginning. So basically, I learned musical theater. I was trained a la carte in New York City by acting teachers, dancing teachers. This is where you learned. Right. There were no BFA programs at the time. Yeah. So and I studied with wonderful teachers: Aaron Frankel at HB Studios, Michael Shirtliff, Michael Howard, wonderful, you know, pedagogues who some of whom are still alive today. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Teaching voice was a natural pivot for me. I started to perform easily. I told you I, I performed Eliza Doolittle. I, I performed it opposite the men I would marry. Yeah. So oh. Bob Bart <laughs> was my Henry Higgins, very romantic. And by the time the 80s rolled around, I had been on Broadway. I finally reached Broadway in 1980 and had a baby in 1981. Oh. <laughs> my, first, my first child. At which point it was a pivot time. So I pivoted to teaching, um, which I I have to say, I didn't know I would love it the way I love it. I love it as much as performing. I think Norman and I have talked about this a lot. I think he feels kind of the same way. And I continued to perform while I was having my first and my second child, but it was more creating one-woman shows, cabaret in New York City, which is a wonderful creative way to perform, I have to say. I love it. And... So I had no, when the call came from Penn State, which was when my oldest child, well, so I started, I should tell you, I started teaching and it was accidental. I had no pedagogy, no formal pedagogy at all, which, you know, everything is sort of not kosher. Sure. And not by the rules, because back then, who who was going to teach you this for musical theater? So what happened is friends of mine who had, who were, performers would say can you work with me a little on this audition can you help me out and I I could play the piano so I said sure 
and I would, and somehow it got a little bit better, and I thought, hmm, I kind of have a knack for this. Yeah. I can kind of figure this out. So I started to enjoy it, and more people would call up, and friends friends would say, hey, go over to Mary. She can, she can work with you on that. That's how it started. That's, that's how it started. That's fantastic. So there was no... Nothing legit. We were living in a fool's paradise in New York City. So belting was something you, you learned by doing and listening. Right. So my mentors, as you can well imagine, my main mentor was Barbara Streisand. <laughs> of course. Because how was I going to learn how to do this if I didn't listen to that? And then I had other colleagues like Paige O'Hara, who was Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Right. My, yes. lived, we lived in the same building, became friends. I listened to her. So I listened to people. I thought really had the ha handle on that and I started doing it myself and I remember being at my house in New Jersey and my mother heard me making my first sounds like that and she said honey you're not going to sing like that are you <laughs> 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 well yeah probably I am going to include that so then when the uh, so I did that for years raised my kids by the time my oldest was ready for college we were living just north of the city where we're, where we're living now in Rockland County. And I got a call from a colleague in State College at Penn State saying, would you or anybody you know be interested in a job teaching musical theater at Penn State? So I thought, well, <laughs> maybe me. So that, that flash forward, I, yeah, I said to my oldest son, the good news is you're going to Penn State. <laughs> the bad news is we're coming too. <laughs> so we packed up and we all went to Penn State. And honestly, that was a huge life changer for me. Yeah. Huge. Because I, 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 I met Norman Spivey. I met a bunch of colleagues, a community of voice teachers who taught each other. Sure. And my formal pedagogy was there. That was, that's what taught me. So cross-pollination, learning from each other. I, I shared a wall with a beloved colleague, Susan Boardman, mm -hmm. who um, would, I would hear from her room, oh, how I love to sing. And she would hear, damn cat. From my <laughs> <laughs> and we would share these resonance these resonance strategies through the wall and that became sort of the way we, we also at Penn State had something wonderful called voice forum every Friday mm -hmm. where we all watched each other teach in other words you didn't teach your own student you watched one of your colleagues teach that student yeah and that was great so cross-pollination was the way I learned that cross-training would strengthen voices. And I began to do it from the very beginning. So Norman Spivey invited me to be one of the session leaders at the Nats 2001 conference in New York City. It was a win the Winter Workshop Music Theater. It was then called Music Theater. Now we have finally said it's Musical Theater. Yeah. And The Belt Voice, part two, because there was a part one. And it turns out that I learned as much from that as pretty much anything I've ever done in terms of not apologizing for what you do, just remembering to, to do what you do yeah. and not try to be somebody else. So, and 
I, the thing about that is it gave me a national forum, the beginnings of a national forum. So I'm grateful forever for that. So that's background before we, and then we get up to it, Norman and me. So, Norman? <laughs> well, I absolutely love, Nick, that you um, ask about this, the journey people have, because when you have that long view, when you go back and see the things that have influenced you, um, you just learn a lot and you see the various journeys people have yeah. and how we all do this, right? That's right. Um, and of course, that big event where I met Mary. So when I was growing up, um, it was kind of like the golden age of the variety show. So you would see, <laughs> see these things on TV, the Julie Andrews Hour, yeah. and you would see these Broadway stars, and even you know Marilyn Horn and opera elite people on Johnny Carson. Sure. It was, and everything was live. People were performing live, and I was just drawn to it so much. I would buy. Uh, Broadway cast recordings, and um, these were the things that, that were part of the culture, things that I knew right away. And when I went to school and studied voice, of course, this was before there were any music theater programs. This was before there were voice pedagogy programs. Right. Um, you know, back in our dark ages, you know. But um, I can look back and see that I was always a teacher. I was a teacher in training, even though I didn't quite have the name for it then. So um, our, our fun, if you could call it, or our, our social life was being in the music building in the evenings, practicing. Yep. And I would hear all my friends practicing down the hall, and I would go into their practice rooms and want to find out the repertoire they were singing and ask the girls how their high notes were so easy because I was this young guy and trying to figure out my passaggio and all of this. And it just seemed like there was so much to learn and um, um, soak up from all the other people, right? Yeah. So then when I got to graduate school and I had assistant chips, I was... At teaching studios of singers, um, I already felt like I had things to draw on and uh, places to begin. Sure. You know? Um, I, like Mary, ended up in Paris as well. After my doctoral degree, I had a Fulbright and was studying with Gérard Souzet, and there were other singers there as well who were so generous and gracious. And as you as you audition and network and start getting a lot of work, um, it's just a great thing to build all of that. Absolutely. And of course, uh, soaking up the, the language, the, the culture, all of these things. Um, then my undergraduate teacher called and said, we have a visiting assistant professor position available. Would you like to throw your hat in the ring for that? And I said, Absolutely. This is what I was, you know, preparing for since I was an undergraduate student. Yeah. So it was just a, a kind of a natural transformation into that. And I got involved with Nats right away as a member then. I had always done the student auditions and knew about all the various things with Nats. Um, when I came to Penn State, I went to our local chapter meeting, the Allegheny Mountain Chapter of Nats. And uh, coincidentally, that was the where I met Joan Boyton for the first time, who's a ah. member of our chapter. 
Sure. And it was a fledgling chapter, and they were wondering how to kind of breathe some new life into it, and could we find people to step up and serve as officers? And I thought, well, you know, I've, I feel like maybe it's time to give back to Nats a little bit. I had done so many other things as a student. Sure. So I said, well, I think I can be an officer in the chapter. And they, you know, asked if I would be president of the chapter. I said, okay. Well, one <laughs> thing leads to another, you know, and so... Um, I can't even tell you how enriching all of that is because not only um, am I serving the association, but the people I meet and the networking that goes on That's and right. just being able to attend the workshops and the conferences and the intern program and the enrichment and the knowledge, um, it's fantastic. Yep. So I don't, maybe this is a good time to transition yes perfect that's great actually um i'm so glad that you said actually that right there because i i was going to forget again because of the craziness of this week but since you brought up nats i just want to take a really quick moment i was asked by a member of the nominating committee to make sure that i announced and told the vocal fam that if you we are in the middle of uh some nomination seasons for some national officer positions and if you have any Nats members that you are thinking of recommending, please go ahead and go on to Nats.org, log into your account, uh, and, and if you have some deserving members, we have a great historical, um, you know, uh, a great um, history of wonderful leadership. And, I mean, Norman is a past president um, a couple of years ago now, I guess. Right. Um, but, um, you know, so it just, you know, one of the things I remember that, that uh, Scott McCoy said a number of years ago on the podcast, we were actually recording in Vegas, and he said, you know, people mistake Nats that we think it's just the auditions, but really, the people who get the most out of it are those of us who really get involved and, 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 and do it for things like the workshops and the conferences and, and, and all the different ways that we can serve and all those different things. So if you have nominees, please send your nominations for great, great individuals for leadership to the nominating committee. There, I remembered to say that. You're welcome. Yay. <laughs> and I can add that having served on the nominating committee in the past, they will look at everything, and the the nominations that people forward are vital. Yes, so there we go. I got that in. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, okay, so then, so obviously you two then worked together for a number of years at Penn State, um, and talk to us about how sort of that working relationship maybe evolved and then sort of led you to the eventuality of the collaboration for the book. Mary, can I start here? Yeah. So when this music theater program began at Penn State, it was just a little before Mary came, and I was reminded of all those Broadway cast recordings I had gotten when I was growing up, and the sure. variety shows on TV, and, and the glimmer of what I might have studied had there been training there. So I started retraining as well, and Mary came and said, you know what, you need to be in some acting classes. You know what, you need to go to, to New York and study singing in a music theater style. You know what, you need... So she kept um, helping me develop through some mentoring. Um, and as she was learning pedagogy from the rest of us, we were learning the same from her. Sure. Right? Yeah, it was very, very rich. Because I, I really, Norman, 
I just have to thank you again for for everything that you've given me because I came into his pedagogy class with and took that because I wanted to see how that is taught at a university level foundationally and it was really helpful for me because I began I had to pick up the pedagogy class for the MFA when we finally got going on that so um, Norman, I feel like it's very interesting because Wendy LeBourne was talking about the yin and yang of her relationship with Marcy. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it is really, when you, when you find a collaboration like this, it's frequently because you share a lot, but you're also very different. Sure, yeah, and yeah. Norman, Norman's brain and mine couldn't be more different. I mean, the way I assimilate information, and he, you know, I am as about as ADD as you can get. So I thrive on stimulation. I need uh -huh. that to get my brain to respond, and and it and it does. It doesn't let me down usually, but I need to have that. Norman also is obviously very responsive, but he he also has a methodical way of working through information. So in, when we worked together, it was always incredibly fruitful because I could rely on that from him and he could rely on my side of things. So do you agree, Norman? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I feel as though we were, I was at the right place at the right time. That phone call came oh. exactly the right place because we were in what you, you referred to as zeitgeist. There was a moment, cultural moment, when teachers became open to hearing things, especially classical teachers, to what, what we were going to be saying. That's right. What we were going to be saying, because classical teachers had studios filling up with musical theater performers. That's right. And so you just had to have answers for them. So this was like, okay, Norman, right place, right time. So we decided to form this MFA to in musical theater voice pedagogy. Am I talking too much, Norman? Do you want to? Oh, not at all. Jump in? Uh, just because we thought this is all my husband's idea, by the way, because I always joke. That <laughs> any, any, anything I do is because he had this idea. Well, honey, why don't you just uh, create a doppelganger for yourself when, you know, so that there's another way for this information to be disseminated. Uh -huh. So they had, we have some wonderful grads from that program, Norman and I trying to work through what that would be it was it was sort of like when i mean i'm thinking about that podcast with wendy and marcy again sitting in the in the um coffee shop because we were sitting in norman's studio with post-its <laughs> post-its so we have a cartoon in the book of us with post-its all over our faces yeah, I remember. Arms, because we were trying to figure out what is this supposed to look like sure and interestingly we decided it should look like a real hybrid training in other words every student should be taking one lesson classically and one lesson in musical theater every week yeah and it was great and ultimately it showed the value of that i'm thinking about one of our grads cj greer during her time, yeah, so, so I think it was the same year, she was cast as the witch in Into the Woods, uh -huh. and she was cast as Mimi. Oh, wow. In La Boheme. Yeah. And that was with 
really great classical singers. So she and was some really stage. diverse singing styles in those two roles. Oh I mean, my sure. gosh! And you know, just really an eye opener for us that this can happen. Absolutely. And she is as strong as she's ever been now. So it's really. Um, it was the way we could see whether this was working, is to see how it played out in students' voices. And I remember going to a voice foundation, Norman Ray. <laughs> Absolutely, I was going to and, just yeah, say. Yeah, we brought one of our, well, tell that story. So the, one of the first students we had, Christy Turnbow, who's yes. now up in Boston, um, came as a demo student for a, a voice foundation workshop that we were doing. And uh, she sang, what was it, an excerpt from, Comiscolio, I think, and yeah, then, yeah, and then uh, she said, "Here I am," you know, big old belt song. Yes, dirty rotten scoundrels here. Oh, I dirty am. rotten yeah, scoundrels. Yeah. Exactly, right. and the the people in the room were just kind of uh, dumbstruck, what? and they wanted to find out from her. Oh my gosh, you're working in these two styles. How long does it take you to change from one style to the other? <laughs> Do you have to space your lessons out and what? And she said, "Absolutely not. It's the next thing out of my mouth is this other style. You can just." choose it as as you want right mm -hmm. so seeing the the flexibility the resiliency in these voices that was what was so interesting and that really let us know that that we were on a good path yeah. on the right track and christy christy was the student mary that you you and she came to australia right when we were at icbc yes yeah were you there yeah mm -hmm. <gasps> i didn't know you were there yeah i presented did i meet you there i'm sorry well, well we what met did you present uh, well, actually, very few people came to my presentation because remember at ICVT, everybody's up against a keynote at the same time. Um, uh, oh, Nick. But, oh. Um, but no, it doesn't, it was, it was whatever, you know. Uh, when you're a young academic and trying to build tenure credits, as, as it were. Um, but uh, no, we, we met very briefly at one of the receptions or something or, or whatever. Oh, okay. but, I, but I do remember your session very, very well. Very well. Uh, it was called Farewell to, to Fock. That I sounds right. That. Yeah. Yeah. And um, my son, of course, being feisty, you may have to edit this. Said, "Yeah, we could call it Get the Fuck Out of Here." <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we're I think we're safe on that one. Okay, uh, so um, I said, "No, I don't think I'll call it that." But farewell to the fuck. <laughs> but it was it was that first moment of realizing that that musical theater has no fuck. That's right. The point is to just open up the voice to whatever resonance choice is appropriate for the style you're singing in. You know, and I mean, I just, I, I, I'm in total agreement with, with, with both of you on this and, and, and with just that idea that you just shared in that anecdote from Voice Foundation. I mean, and, you know, Sarah, having been through the Masters recently, I mean, it's exactly how we lay out our program. I mean, Sarah, oh, would, Sarah would go back and forth from, you know, Sarah, what, screaming, find your grail. Yeah. <laughs> um, to, to, you know, singing your, your Britain art song for your recital, you know, oh, in the yeah, same lesson. Fabulous. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even separate lessons. Right. That's Ex so great. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so any, great. anyway, so then, so plural approaches you, you approach plural, you have this, like, you want, did you guys want to lay it out in a book or was that like something you didn't think that you wanted to do? We well, had we never considered it. Never considered it because of what we say at the, in the very opening section. We say, how can you write about sounds? <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> it yeah. just seemed really not the the most efficient way to to teach. Sure. Well, so, it's also a daunting thing because your understanding is going to continue to evolve. 
Oh, of course. That, and that you, you mentioned have a little that, snapshot of what's going on. Right. You said, well, this is where we are now. So this it was, um, I think, Brenda Smith and Karen Brunson who both recommended us to Plural. And they reached out and said, you know, do you have a title in mind? Would you like to do a book proposal? And Mary and I talked it over and came up with an outline. And holy cow, I was looking at it earlier. Um, our outline changed a lot over <laughs> the course of oh. the whole thing. And there were chapters that we would bring in, like general pedagogy things that, you know, you find we really don't need helpful. That. And Mary was yeah. like, meh. You know, we don't need that, that because it's been done, been said. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Been done, been said. What do you have to bring to the conversation? Right? That's right. What, what hasn't and been? Where said? is this very specific intersection? That's yeah. right. Yeah. So well, we really exactly. tried to stay on on track. I mean, let me just start off as we you know really transition into the book. I that you know this this fall I used it as one of my two textbooks for CCM Ped in the fall. Um, really? The way the way our masters is laid out is I, I all of my all of our coursework is approached from from multiplistic styles. None of it is style specific, except in the CCM Ped course they have the chance to delve a little bit more specifically into musical theater styles for half of it, and then a little bit specifically into more rock and pop styles for the other half of it. Um, so, but but I used your your uh, your book. For the the first half, which was the musical theater section of mm -hmm. the of the book, of the of the class, um, and the, let me tell you, my students in the fall adored your book. They thought it was yeah. just fantastic. Per particularly, particularly the chapter where you actually go through all the exercises, yes. and and I think it's chapter. I don't have the book right in front of me. I think it's chapter three. Registration or four. and resonance, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, and they just found it. In fact, my my one of my oh, current cool. my current graduate assistant, um, she just adored the exercises so much. And we, it was great for us because we incorporated them right into her lessons, so she could see how they were working in her own voice. And I just I, I, I have you guys have my full support from from the book from particularly that chapter. I just thought it was just such a wonderful contribution. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, we spent a lot of time looking at each other in Norman's kitchen. This is my memory, Norman, thinking, mm. I don't know. Why are we doing this? This is, we're not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> we're not worthy. This is a position paper. It felt a little like that in the beginning. Sure. Like this is, you know what I mean? But, but then when you get right down to the nitty gritty of it, and I had already um, made two videos, which um, in, were sort of my first foray into... Not foray in that sense, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, my first effort to to set out a pedagogy. Sure, bel canto can belto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and so when we got to the, to the stage that Norman and I were at, we, we were further down the road. Sure, we were really ready to stand up and say, okay, this is a way to go about it, and we had both been walking the walk. Right. Was, yeah. So in a sense, it was like, this is just, we're opening the doors of our studios. So it was a little bit more like what I had mentioned earlier. That this is the voice forum approach, which is share. Share. Don't be afraid of judgment. Just Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so you had talked about whether you get pushback for this approach. And of course, because I think it was a welcome addition. Yeah. Remember when we, when we presented it at Las Vegas, I was surprised. Weren't you, Norman, a little bit? 
at the end when people said, let me go get the book. And they were, people oh, were really absolutely. wanted the book. And we said, wow. Okay, so that meant that our intuition was correct, that there was a hunger for this information, which when you get down to chapter three of the book is pretty straightforward and simple. It's not that complicated. Sure. And uh, we did orient the book clearly toward the musical theater point of view. Yeah. In other words, musical theater singers need to develop both sides of the voice. It isn't about, oh, come in and belt and that's, that's it, you're great. Bye. That's right. Because it doesn't make any sense in terms of longevity, but it also doesn't make sense professionally anymore. Sure. Because we have no idea. I mean, you figure, I have a student, I'm thinking about a student at Montclair State where I'm teaching now, who basically was afraid of her middle soprano voice because it didn't balance well. Yeah. So she, but she is, she is um, Puerto Rican. She's perfect for Maria. Mm. In West Side Story. Yep. And she has all that upper extension in her voice. And this humongous, wonderful, exciting, you know, clarion belt. So that's the task. You say, okay, let's integrate. Let's integrate. And she is now a believer. There were a lot of tears. You know, this is what happens. I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. I can't do that. That's just going to be so horrible. And hey, I sound like that. But she, she is feisty and she's got it. So well, and you just I have think, to jump in and begin. Yeah, jump in. Out. Yeah. This is what you say, harder, Norman. Right? Norman, I love what Norman says. Because Norman says things that sound simple, but that are really good. He says, you just start by starting. That's right. And you do, Norman. You yeah. start no, by right. starting. You just say, we're going ahead. We're doing it. We're right. doing this. So the... The thing that sort of guides me in terms of the book has to do with the point of view, which is kind of bel canto, can belto, which is, it is not just si parla come si canta, it is also si canta come mm. si parla. Yeah. So that you make um, that unification psychologically that's right. with every student. We also teach, because of, and of the world we're in right now, and I'm on the NAT subcommittee with Dan Wilmot Johnson um, for what, what should NSA's language be going forward? Yeah. There are changes afoot, mm -hmm. and we have to be aware of that. We don't talk about it in the books. As a matter of fact, we said other people are taking this cultural step forward, and we're just going to go with them. But it is now, for Broadway, any gender sings any gender. Yeah. That's huge. Yep. Yeah. So the gender neutral approach that we talk about in the book um, really makes sense when you think about it that way, because you're also talking about uh, a bridge, a bridge that occurs in the same place for men and women. It's sure. Just the women is the entrance to middle voice. The men's is entrance to upper. Sure. But what happens at that in that range is so key to everything they're going to sing, and it relates to the laryngeal size where that all occurs. So I, I figure the gender part of it, if we're just dealing with laryngeal size, we we don't have to be too concerned. We can just celebrate whatever's coming in the door. Sure. Would you agree, Norman, with that? Absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great. Too. Well, I would also say to that, just as a, again, just a selling point of the book, from that perspective, you can use the exact exercises that are in the book for any larynx. Just maybe change the pitch you're starting at. I mean, yeah. you know, they're, they're still completely applicable to the ideas of of creating a, 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 an instrument that is both unified, but that, that can also diversify itself in terms of its timbres and its colors and, and what kind of noises it's making. So, completely. I mean, completely. Yeah, and there are some guidelines and, and in there for, for where a treble voice might start yes. and where a modal voice might start. And um, someone who's a treble voice will likely go up higher sure. of, course, of course and the modal ones will go down lower but there's that whole rich middle world meet that we middle. really share absolutely mm -hmm. they meet absolutely. between f and who knows where right i don't know right. how high mm -hmm. you go but you're a real tenor aren't you nick yes so yeah so between f4 and d5 yeah for men and women that's a range that, that everybody shares yeah mm -hmm. so right. and if it's if it's musical theater they don't have the luxury of not carrying a modal strong core sound to that F. That's right. They can't be going, yeah. oh, you know, unless they're singing classically, and then they have to be able to make that adjustment, that turn wherever that would be in a classical fog. Absolutely. But in musical theater, everybody just basically goes up in mode one, right up through there, and makes a transition to mode two as an, ad as, as an additional resonance. So yep. most of the men... You want to get male voices singing in soprano. Sure, sure. You, you just absolutely want to get them all singing in soprano. I know that, I don't know how you feel about this, Nick, um, but uh, Robert Edwin doesn't like the term falsetto, and we're kind of stuck with it. So I just use it as a slash. Well, how do you all feel about it? Well, here's, so, our, here's, our, here's our vocal fry rule. Um, Sarah and I have a general rule that we don't get caught up on terminology as long as we can define the things that we're talking about. Smart. Um, and so, like, you could, I, I don't really care what language people use. I, I, I sort of view one of my roles in life as translating all, of ter all terminology to one person from one person yeah. to another whether that's from Beautiful. a science yeah. whether that's from a scientist to a pedagogue or a singer to a I pedagogue agree. or that's to great. or whoever um, you know that's so great. like that's I don't have great. a I don't have a problem with any word um, so as long as we can have a conversation as what that word means to represents you. yes yeah um, and and so that that's sort of our general vocal fry policy smart. is to not get caught up on any terminology Right. Um, that's our I think that's viewpoint. so smart. So, um, yeah. Please, please. Go ahead. Well, yeah. okay. So I just want to transition us because I, I, forgive me, but my kids have a piano master class I know, in about and 11 it's more minutes. important than anything else. Um, Absolutely. But, but, I, but I have to, while you are all are on. So first of all, to get the book, go to Plural's website or to Amazon or wherever eBooks are sold. If you like your Apple books, go to the yeah, uh, app store. Anywhere. Um, but uh, seriously, this is one that I believe that you should have, Vocal Fam. Um, it's one that I use in my one of my own graduate courses and it's one that I will personally endorse um, from, from, 
from that perspective. Um, so go out and get yourself a copy of Cross Training in the Voice Studio, uh -huh. a balancing act. And it does say, I, I want to point out just to, to you all that it does say first edition, which would sort of reference that there would be a second edition at <laughs> yeah. some point. We'll leave that to, to, to you, you two. Start figuring that out. Um, but I also have to go back backwards in the conversation just to one point. Norman, when you were describing your journey, um, and you talk about this in the book, but I just have to say it to the vocal fam. I got a chance to see Norman do his own one-person show, Ecoute. Oh, my. <laughs> and I seriously mean this, and Sarah will, will, could confirm with both of you that I don't, I don't generally just give praise for no reason. I see, Norman, I, I really mean this. It was one of the most inspiring nights of theater I have ever seen in my entire life. When you, oh, what when a you, very kind thing. When you left it was great. and came back and you said something to the effect of, I don't know what this place is, but it must be hell because Marcel is not here. And then you sat down and played a... Um, uh, 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 the, yes, the... <laughs> Achloris. Oh my gosh. Go. Right. And and it was very meaning to my wife and I because I've always said that if my wife were a song, she would be Achloris. Oh, he does say that nice. actually on a fairly Oh, that's basis. so beautiful. Well, yeah. I can does say really? just yeah. like no. just like Bob, Mary's husband, has been the inspiration for the MFA and lots of things. My wife Joyce was the inspiration there. So oh. all the the acting courses and the music theater voice training that Mary had me do, she was like, Well, what's your next project gonna be? I love the way you do this <laughs> French art song. Isn't there a way you could like put together something with that? Absolutely and so, fantastic. Yeah. Well, I, I, it was just that we enjoyed so it that night thoroughly. Um, I'm actually on a side note. I'm, I'm, I was supposed to do it last Monday, but obviously with the pandemic. Um, uh, but one of my teachers had written a show uh, for himself 30 years ago called Letters to Puccini, and I'm getting to do that for Opera Mississippi next season, and then I'll take it around to some different places where nice. I'm, I'm Puccini and I sing, and because Puccini's sort oh, of a oh, central great. part of my repertoire. Excellent. And uh, so uh, lo looking forward to actually being post-pandemic and actually getting to do that show. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, we'll look forward to that. In, 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 I hope in, we get to See it. Indeed. Um, so, as we trans transition to, to toward the end here, um, we've been asking everyone during the pandemic, outside of your daily, you know, sort of work life, what has been bringing you joy here during the last twelve months of our crazy lives? Um, you know, and, and Sarah and I always like to joke we're a Star Wars podcast about teaching oh, yeah. singing or a Marvel podcast about voice science. We're not really sure which, but um, but but anything that's been bringing you joy could be a book series, could be the fact that you love yard work. Um, that's been a very <laughs> popular one. Uh, gardening it really has. Um, so and, and, and either please, please, either one of you. Okay, go Norman. Okay, um, I love this part of the podcast and I've been thinking about <laughs> this. Um, there are several things. One thing I love to do when I'm able is to be out of my yard. Yeah. And what I often find myself doing is just going down on the ground and getting my hands dirty. We have lots of garden beds that I'm trying to take out these, these weeds that everybody says I can't do. But I think if I dig them out by the root, I probably <laughs> can do this. So it's like that old <laughs> proverb. 
of, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. And so I just, every single route is just kind of a reminder to do what is in front of you and to use that time to just think and dream and put together ideas. I just, I love that. That for me is my therapy. Fantastic. The second thing would be cooking. And I've always loved to cook, but particularly during this pandemic, it has felt like not only does it nurture me, but it is a a real gift that I can give to my family. And um, I mean, there are so many silver linings about the time together and about simplifying and just being present at home. And that for me is something I look forward to every day. Me too. The third thing that might be a little surprising, um, everybody, of course, has been watching you know, Netflix and Apple TV and all the things going on. And my daughter, who is taking a pandemic gap year, often curates these things we watch. And maybe the ones that would be most surprising are America's Next Top Model and RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Fantastic. Right? Of course, that was on last night. So, you know, yeah. Fantastic. No spoilers. Oh, no, we don't want to no spoil spoilers. it in case anyone's not seen it yet. There yeah, you go. Correct. Mary, what about you? Okay, well, I'll just keep it simple. Reading. Ah. And reading. Oh, yay. And reading. What's the best I thing you've read, then? love to read. Okay, I just finished something called The Vanishing Act. Have you ever heard of it? By no. Britt Bennett. So I, I've been reading a lot of books on uh, social justice and change, mm. and gender issues. This one is about, it's a fascinating book. It's actually about um, black twins in, this, in Louisiana, one of whom decides to enter the white world and to pass. They are uh-huh. light-skinned black. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, and then the, uh, the other character is transitioning from um, female to male. Okay. Wow. So you see these people, that's the vanishing act. They are leaving mm, themselves. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's utterly fascinating when you think, okay, am I still the person? Am, this person may go through these changes, but you're still that person. So mm-hmm. that was really fascinating. I've, I've read Maya Angelou, Brian Stevenson. These are all... Kimamanda Ngozi Adichie, Half of a Yellow Sun, wonderful books. So then, my number two thing, I have five grandbabies, ah. all living in Brooklyn oh. with their parents. They're not living alone, but they live with their parents. And they range in ages from four, three, two, one, and minus one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do we do this in the pandemic? So they, this, the smartest thing we did last summer is we bought... A jumpy castle. Yeah. A jumpy castle, and we blew it up in the backyard, and I am telling you the delight that we had every time they came to visit, because we just threw them all in. Yep. We just threw them all in, and then we'd have a barbecue, and it was just the greatest. That's fantastic. And I remember my three-year-old, Gus, this just, I don't know, this makes me so happy, but he just, because I'm a grandma, he threw his hands up in the air, and he said, this is the that's fantastic. We had a, we had also broken down and bought my kids. They had been asking for one for a, a while. We bought them oh, a trampoline because oh, we bought them great. a trampoline because mm. we, we knew we were going to be stuck at home all summer. And, Smart. well, a trampoline costs a lot less than a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
for sure. So, uh, yeah, it has it has paid off. Uh, we would just put the hose on it and let them dive around in the water, and you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we turned on the hose. It's the greatest. Right. These that's are simple right. that's pleasures. Right. That's but right. Ones. That's right. So, how old are your kids? My kids are. Um, uh, Olivia is just turned nine, and my son is eleven. Um, uh, so uh, they're 11, 11 and nine now. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's uh, we're sort of uh, transitioning towards teenagers, I guess. Uh, Tell them how I feel yeah. about that. Sort of in a mm -hmm. sort of still in a good, 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 good point, but uh, yeah. actually getting to <laughs> actually getting to hear my son though play a little bit of actual basic basic uh, contrapuntal figure here in, in the master class uh, this afternoon. Um, so oh, it's so uh, great. Watching them, um, you know, just become their own people is, is really quite, so quite something. You yeah. bet it is. Yeah. Anyway, Mary, Norman, thank you so much for joining Our Vocal pleasure. Fry. Thank you for the book. Uh, and uh, this has this has just been um, a great thrill to have you both on the podcast. Yes, thank y'all. Um, and uh, we look forward to the second edition of the book whenever it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Uh, no, congratulations and thank you thank so you. much for sharing. Thanks and very much. Yes. Great to be with you. Absolutely, yeah. our pleasure. Sarah, really quickly, breakfast. Oh, it was actually just coffee today. I didn't really even eat breakfast. Wow. That, that is that a first? It happened one other time, which was the first time, and this was the second. So. Oh my gosh! Incredibly rare. Oh my goodness! So I have to yeah. eat breakfast. I, yeah. I, and I have weird breakfasts, which is why <laughs> he asks. Well, usually they're weird. Today, not as much. I ended up eating like a really early lunch, though. So. Oh my goodness! Okay, vocal know, fam, crazy, there you have wild. it. Hey, vocal fam, really quick, <laughs> but while we wrap it up, if you're following along. Sarah and I are going to do a WandaVision wrap-up here soon. Oh, my god! But based on episode seven, I want oh you all god. to do something. You all need to go online and look up the Darkhold. I promise it will become important in episodes eight and nine. So you need to know the Marvel history of the Darkhold. If you haven't seen episode seven, it'll make sense after you see episode seven. You also need to make sure that you understand who Photon is and this kind for of thing. For real. <laughs> anyway, uh, all right, I gotta go, Vocal Fam. That that's right. that's it for Enjoy. us. Norman, Mary, thank you so much. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Our Thanks. Pleasure.